0: Good morning. My name is Jill. The Old Testament reading is found in Psalm 61, 1 through 3. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Mary. The New Testament reading is found in Colossians 1, verses 9 through 12. Because of this, since the day we heard about you, we haven't stopped praying for you and asking for you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, with all wisdom and spiritual understanding. We're praying this so that you can live lives that are worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him in every way, by producing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. By being strengthened through his glorious might, so that you endure everything and have patience, and by giving thanks with joy to the Father, he made it so that you could take part in the inheritance in light granted to God's holy people. The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Katie. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading found in John 17, 9, 20 through 23. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you gave me, because they are yours. I'm not praying only for them, but also for those who believe in me because of their word. I pray they will be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. I pray that they also will be in us, so that the world will believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, so that they can be one just as we are one. I'm in them, and you are in me, so that they will be made perfectly one. Then the world will know that you sent me and that you have loved them just as you loved me. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to our Just remain standing as we pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask now that by the power of your Holy Spirit you would breathe your word into our very lives. And the result would be that our eyes are opened, our ears are opened, our minds and hearts are opened, not just to be challenged or to be informed, but to be changed and transformed. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Glenn Packiam. I'm the pastor here at New Life Downtown. As uh, Evan said earlier, New Life Downtown is one of the six congregations of New Life Church. We've been around for about six years. I've been on staff at New Life Church for uh, about 18 years, and New Life has been in the city For 33 years, so there's a little bit of uh, a few factoids for you that are newer or new to the church. We're so glad that you've come to be with us today, and this is a great Sunday to jump in because we're kicking off a new series. We've just come off of a summer series where we studied the Ten Commandments for 10 weeks, Uh, and now we're beginning a series on a a a letter called Colossians. And so, if you're familiar with the Scriptures in the New Testament, there's this little book in there called Colossians, and it's really a letter from Paul to a young church in a city called Colossae, and we'll be in this letter. We're going to open it up and and read from it and talk through it for the next eight or nine weeks, and so you might want to sit down and just read Colossians all the way through. Read it the way you would read any letter, any long letter. It'll take you about 15, maybe 20 minutes. Read it all the way through and kind of get a sense of what Paul is saying. Uh, Before we dive in this morning, I I was reminded this week of of a story that I had read, Uh, this summer so I've kind of done with all of my academic stuff and I'm just so ready to take a break so I've been reading just for fun I mean what a concept and uh, and one of the books I read early this year was uh, the story of Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and uh, about their rivalry in the NBA and the book is called when the game was ours now I moved to the States when I was 10 and so we lived in Portland Oregon 1988 I became by default a fan of the Portland Trailblazers And so, you know, it was not an easy time to be a fan of the Blazers, especially since when they did get good and make it to the finals, there was Michael Jordan. So, um, but I kind of missed a lot of the Magic and Bird era, and so I enjoyed kind of reading this book and, and, and finding out about it. And one of the, the moments that stuck out to me was, you know, some of you may know this, Magic was forced to retire early because of his diagnosis with uh, HIV, and so he tried several times to make a comeback. It didn't quite work, and, and he sort of stayed around the Lakers organization, and, and one year the Lakers were doing so poorly that they fired their coach with 15 games to go. Now, there's like 82 games or whatever in the NBA. You you must really not like the coach when you fire him with just 15 games left, right? And so they said to Magic, they said, Magic, would you help us just kind of coach these last 15 games? Just be an interim coach. He says, okay, I'll come and try to save the day. And it is a total disaster. And he sees this, this player who's supposed to be one of their key star players just launching up jump shots and missing it every time. And so coach Magic Johnson says, okay, listen, bud. If you're going to take that shot, let me work with you on your jump shot. So he says, look, would you show up early to the next practice and I'll work with you? Player says, sure, man. So magic arrives two hours before practice. Player's not there. One hour before practice. Player's not there. 30 minutes before practice. Player's not there. Five minutes before practice. Player strolls in. Hey, coach, I'm here to work on that jump shot. And Magic's like, where were you? I've been here for two hours. He says that if you take that shot in the game, I'm benching you. <laughs> and part of the story, if you, if, you, know, you kind of scroll back, Magic, when he was a rookie, when he was a, a young player, he showed up to his first practice two hours early. And then second practice, he showed up three hours early, and it was so impressed, his own coach, that his coach said, that's gonna be the new norm. You all come to practice two hours early and work on your shots before we practice as a team. And it changed the culture of the Lakers organization. Magic went on to win five championships with the Lakers. It was an amazing thing. So you get the sense that older Magic is looking at these younger players saying, you don't know what it takes. You don't know what it takes to make it in the NBA. You don't know what it takes to achieve greatness. I think there's a little bit of that in Colossians. You've got Paul, an older apostle, writing from prison to a young church in Colossae saying, y'all don't know what it takes. Like, you don't even know what it takes to endure. And I'm gonna say some things to you about maturity, and I'm gonna say some things to you about growth. But first, I want you to learn from my habits. I want you to learn from my practices. I want you to learn what it takes. And so, if we look at this letter, um, the, the New Testament scholar J.B. Lightfoot says Colossians is probably Paul's, the, the letter that Paul wrote that was to the, most, the least significant church. It's to this young church, and it's not just to a young church, but it's a church in a city that is kind of, that is kind of past its prime. Colosse, 300, 400 years before the New Testament era, was kind of a happening city. It was like a city on the rise, and everybody was pumped about it, but it gradually began to sort of lose its place and so by the time the New Testament the the, the time of the New Testament arrives Colossae is sort of a has-been it's a city that remembers its glory days in the rear view mirror and they're looking up north toward Laodicea or Hierapolis in the northwest 10 or 15 miles away and they're thinking oh those cities are so cool those cities are like Colorado Springs named number one most desirable place to live thank you very much but we're just Colossae, we're just down on the list, somewhere on the like, you know, way down low. And there's this young group of Christians that a guy named Epaphras has planted this church. He's he's an associate of Paul's. And so likely the story is that Paul's in prison. There's some disagreement about where he's in prison. Is he in Rome? Is he in Caesarea? N.C. Wright says probably he was in Ephesus. And so Paul's in this, let's say, Ephesian uh, prison The year is about A.D. 52, 53, something like that. Epaphras comes to visit him. He says, Paul, there's a group of Christians now in Colossae. Paul's like, wow, I'm going to write to them. I'm going to send them some encouragement. And what Paul wants them to know is that life with Jesus begins with and is sustained by prayer. It begins with and is sustained by prayer. The very introduction of his letter, 14 verses, the way we've kind of Put verses in there. Help us to see that Paul takes prayer seriously. And, and, and it's interesting that in all but two of Paul's letters, he opens either by saying how he's been praying for them or most of the time by actually writing out his prayer. Isn't that interesting? I mean, it's sort of like praying out loud. Like, why would you do that, Paul? Because he's trying to teach them something. He's trying to say to them, you don't get to be my age, in a prison, beaten, bloodied, discouraged, and you don't get to last if you don't cultivate the practice of prayer. And so he wants them to know life with Jesus begins with and is sustained by prayer. If you've got a Bible, you can open up to Colossians chapter 1. If not, you can follow on the screens. From Paul, an apostle of Christ, apostle simply means messenger, the one sent of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in Colossae, grace and peace to you from God, our Father. We always give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Isn't that an interesting way to open it? We always give thanks when we pray for you. We've done this since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people. Skip down to verse 9. Because of this, since the day, there it is again, since the day we heard about you, we haven't stopped praying for you. What a phrase! Now, I don't think that Paul means, what he means by this is that he's some sort of a a, a cloistered, you know, monastic that's like, all I do is pray, pray, pray. No, Paul was active. We know that. We know that he was, uh, um, that he had this sort of trade on the side as well. And so there's something about Paul's life that is on the go, that he's not sort of living in this cloistered world where we can say, well, sure, Paul, you don't stop praying, but me, I got things to do. You know, Paul, I think what Paul is trying to say when he says, we haven't stopped praying for you, is he's saying, prayer is my habit. Prayer is my reflex. When I hear about something, I think, oh, I'm going to pray about that. And I wonder for us, what is our habit? What is our reflex? What's the thing that we just do kind of impulsively? I know what it is for me. It's this. Have a spare moment when you're waiting for something. Right? Sitting in the car at a light, grab your phone. Waiting at the doctor's office. Waiting for the microwave, you know. It's like every spare chance. This is what we do all the time. And Paul's like, "No, guys, this this is not what you do. I haven't stopped praying for you since I've heard about this. Is my reflexive, habitual practice. And so I want to say three things to us about prayer. And the first is this: pray. As a way of participating in God's work. Pray as a way of participating in God's work. So many times we, we think about prayer as sort of the prelude. It's a little bit of the warm-up. Oh, we, we're all gathered here for the meal. Oh, someone say a prayer, would you? Or we're about to go you know, do something that we feel is really important. Like, oh, let's just say a little prayer. And it's almost our little token prelude. But for Paul, even in his letters, prayer is not the prelude. Prayer is the premise. Paul, it's the premise of everything Paul's about to say to them. In fact, he, he's going to say, look, I have some strong things to say to you, but I've earned the right to say that because I've been praying for you. It's the very premise of his message. So prayer is a way of participating in God's work. Some of us think, well, I, I, I don't know what to do about this situation or that situation, I, I'm so far away, or they're over there, or this is overwhelming, or I don't have time, and I can't sign up for the meal train, and I can't serve at Young Life, and I can't volunteer at the church, and I, we, there's, ah, my life, right? I get it. But you can pray. You can pray. What if you took that same time instead of doing this, you just stop for 10 seconds, and you say, Lord, who should I, just bring someone to my mind, and then you remember, Susie. And, and, and John just had a baby. Let's just pray for them. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you help them, Lord. Give them strength in their marriage, Lord. Help them. Maybe you heard someone else just had a surgery, Lord. I just pray for Mary. She's just had this surgery, Lord. Would you strengthen her? And all of a sudden, it's amazing what the Lord will bring to your heart if you just stop and pray and say, how, God, how can I actually participate in your work? See, I, I kind of think Paul's trying to say something deliberate to the Colossians, saying, I'm in jail, and I'm praying for you. I'm like, my body is aching, and I'm praying for you. I'm going through tremendous discouragement, and I'm praying for you. Prayer is a way of participating in God's work. It's not the prelude, it's not the warm up, it's the very way of participating in God's work. And I think about how often we miss this. We miss the chance that we're given to join God in this. Uh, so many of the other things that we do, you know, New Life Downtown, you're amazing at serving. In fact, I think our percentages are better than national averages. If, if our database is right, then something like 40% of you serve at the church. That's really great. That's amazing. And probably more than that are serving in other ways that are not official kind of ways that are, that are you know, in our database or whatever. I think that's amazing. But here's the thing. 100% of you can pray. A hundred percent of you can pray. Prayer is not a spiritual gift. It's not in Paul's list. Well, some of you are teachers. Some of you, you can't say, well, I, I, I'm, I'm not a pray, prayer person. I just don't, you know. Paul's like, do you want in on God's work? Pray. Learn the practice of praying for other people. Learn the practice of praying for one another. And then as he goes on, let's jump back to verse 6. He's talking about the gospel, and he says, this message has been bearing fruit and growing among you since the day you heard and truly understood God's grace. In the same way that it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world. Now, notice this phrase here. He's talking about the gospel, and he says, the gospel is bearing fruit all over the world, and then skip down to verse 9. And then he says, because of this, since the day we've heard, it, we haven't stopped praying for you. Asking for you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, with all wisdom and spiritual understanding. We're praying this so that you can live lives that are worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him in every way. How? By producing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. You see, it's the same verb here in in the original language that Paul's writing with when he says, the gospel's bearing fruit. And then he says, I'm praying that your lives will bear fruit. So if we're saying, okay, okay, pray as a way to participate in God's work, okay, great, I'll do that. What do I pray? Paul says, let me tell you, pray for the gospel to bear fruit. Pray for the gospel to bear fruit. You say, well, I don't know what to say and I don't know what to pray. Pray this prayer. Pray these words. Lord, I pray that your gospel would bear fruit in so-and-so's life. I pray that it would begin to produce something in them. God, I pray that just as your good news is transforming people all around the world, would you let it transform a Billy and, and Susan, Lord, whom I met this morning? Why not pray that? Pray for the gospel to bear fruit. Now, just pause here for a minute. Because there's this phrase that Paul uses in there, and he says, I'm praying this so that you will live lives worthy of the Lord. Now, that might make some of you all of a sudden get a knot in your stomach and you're like, Oh no, I have to live a life worthy of the Lord. I thought there was like grace and like nothing I do really matters. Cause I'm really excited about that heaven stuff, but like living a life that's worthy. <clears throat> sounds like legalism. Sounds like, ah, sounds terrible. Sounds I-, I-, I can't do that. And maybe this is why Paul says that for those who have heard and truly understood the message of grace, it's bearing fruit. And I want to suggest to us that maybe we have not fully understood just how powerful grace is. We think of the first part of grace, that grace is God's sort of unmerited favor. You've heard that maybe. Or God is, uh, grace is God's gift to the unworthy. That's true. But it's more than that. It's the kind of gift that actually changes you. It comes to the unworthy but it doesn't leave you unworthy. It's given to the unworthy, but it's designed to make you worthy. God's grace is a gift to the unworthy designed to make them worthy. It gets inside you and it changes you. And if you think, well, that doesn't sound like a gift. I thought this was a gift with no strings attached. Turns out God wants something. (laughs) Yes, but actually, maybe it's helpful for you to, to not think of God's gift in this sort of binary God's move, my move, balance the scales kind of way. Because when we think like that, we, we, we might say, well, God did this. He gave Jesus. He died for you. Your move. And you're like, I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll go to church. I'll give. I'll serve. I mean, and you're like, Mm-mm, keep trying. And you're Like, oh no, I don't know how to do this. Instead of realizing that We shouldn't be thinking of of grace in terms of these binaries of this is what God does, now what will you do? But think of grace in a dynamic way, all right? Evan just had their, he talked about how he and Karen just had their their second child. Welcome back, Karen. Great to see you here as well. Every, every, Every parent who's had a child knows that a child is a great gift and it's a gift that will change your life. It's a gift that will change everything. People are, a lot of times, parents or, or a young couple will say to me in, in our office, oh, we're, we're going to do this. And we're, they, they know everything about what they're going to do with their lives and how they're going to carry on. And oh, none of us are going to change anything. And we're just going to keep going. And we're going to be campers. And we're going to keep working. And we're going to, all of the different things. And then they have a baby and they're like, oh. I talked to a young mom this morning and she's like, I just put my baby in the nursery for the first time. I couldn't wait for service to be over because I wanted to hold her again. And I thought, you didn't see that coming a year ago, did you? Like, no, I didn't see that coming. Children are a gift that change you, right? Marriage, yesterday I did a wedding for a great New Life downtown couple. They said their vows to one another and I thought, and I said to them, this is the costliest yes, second only to the yes you said to Jesus. And they're like, oh, you're such a gift to me. And I'm like, yes, they are the gift that will cost you everything. And in our minds, we're like, well, that doesn't make sense. A gift must be free. Can a gift cost you everything? Absolutely. And that's what grace is like. Grace is a gift to the unworthy that ends up making you worthy. It changes everything. This is the, the great mystery of the gospel. And so that's why we pray for the gospel to bear fruit. We're praying, God, help these people, help my friends, help my family, help my, not just to hear the gospel, but to truly understand it, so it will bear fruit, so it will lead to worthy lives. And then as Paul goes on in his prayer, he says, verse 11, by being strengthened through his glorious might that you might endure everything and have patience and by giving thanks with joy to the Father. I love N.C. Wright's translation of verse 11. He says, I pray that you'll be given all possible strength according to the power of his glory so that you'll have complete patience and become truly steadfast and joyful. Do you know what we can hear through this? It's God's power that produces something in us. It's God's power in us that produces faithfulness and patience and joy. If we really believe that, then maybe it's not that we don't need coffee times with our friends, and it's not that we don't need a chance to just chat and support one another with our words, but if we really believe that it's God's power that produces this, maybe we'll begin to pray more with each other. Because in the end, it's not my words that produce faith, fruitfulness, and patience and joy. It's not another sermon that will say, aha, oh, now I've got fruitfulness and endurance. Paul's about to say a lot of things, but he says, it's God's power that's gonna produce this in you. That's why I haven't stopped praying for you. What if we became the church that prayed for one another like that? That we're not just experts at Hey, man, let's grab a Starbucks, but also, not not that that's bad, but also add to that, hey, let's just find a time where we can pray together on the phone. I see what you're going through. Can I call you and pray with you? (gasps) Wow. Some of the most powerful discipleship times that I've had with young men going through challenges is to say to them, would you meet me? And we'll pray together for 30 minutes. We're just going to pray together, We're like, what? I don't know what to say? We'll open up the scriptures and we'll just pray a, a phrase and pray a verse and pray a scripture. To, be, why? Because I'm praying for the gospel to bear fruit. If the gospel is God's power, then I want to pray for the gospel to bear fruit. Pray with one another. When I was thinking about this this week, I thought, well, maybe maybe in one sense, this is true of, of all parents, but maybe more so true. Of mothers. I know so many of us could tell stories of our mothers who prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for us. I know I know. for me I think of the moments where my mother prayed with me but I, I, I know there's hours and hours and hours that I don't know about that my mother prayed for me. Uh, we moved to the States when I was 10. We lived in Portland for three years but then moved back to Malaysia for another four years and then I came out on my own Uh, to the States to go to college at 17. And I think about that now as a dad. My oldest, our oldest is 13. And I think, I cannot imagine at 17, like saying, you're going on this plane, you're going, leaving halfway around the world." I mean, they had such faith in God and they prayed and prayed and prayed. And I know they did. They prayed for the right friends. They prayed for this and they prayed for that. Now, I'm not saying to you that if you do that, life will just work amazingly. I'm not saying. There is some mystery of human agency and everyone has to make their own choices. Our prayers don't override someone else's free will. There's a mystery to all of this. I don't know how it all works, but I do know that there's something about someone praying for you, that the gospel would bear fruit. There there are some of you here that need to know the Lord wants you to not give up on your prayers. Don't give up on praying for the gospel to bear fruit. It may take a long time, but it will bear fruit. Keep praying, keep praying. I think about Holly's mom. She was kind of late to uh, uh, her faith being alive. To her, my wife Holly was was ten years old by the time her mother decided to follow Jesus. And you might say, "Oh, it's over. All the formative years are over. No Bible stories at night. No stuff." I guess uh, I guess what's done is done. But she decided to just start praying. And praying, and and I I talked to Holly last night and said, babe, how should I describe your life with God in your high school years. And she said, you could say it lukewarm. You know, like not really doing, like not really going off the deep end, but also not actually following Jesus. And she said, it's kind of a miracle that I ended up choosing to go to a Christian university uh, where we met. And she said, because it wouldn't have been what I would have chosen, but my mom was praying and praying. Made that choice. And then I said, babe, can I say to them that once you met me that everything in your life began to... And she said, she, she laughed. She did what you just so anyway, <laughs> I keep praying for the gospel to bear fruit. And then as Paul rounds off this section here, verse 12 through 14, he starts talking about God. He starts talking about the Father, and he said he made it so that you could take part in the inheritance. I love this. Other translations say God qualified you, God made you fit to take part in this inheritance in light Granted to God's people. He rescued us from the control of darkness. Transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. He set us free through the son. And forgave our sins. You know what I think Paul's up to right here? He's trying to say to the Colossians. For all of our emphasis on our prayer. As our participation. Don't you ever forget it's God's work. Pray because God is on the move. Pray because it is God who is on the move. And so he reminds them, it's God who made you fit to, to share in this inheritance. It's God who delivered you. It's God who transferred you from one kingdom to the other. It's God who rescued you. It's God who forgave you. It's God who redeemed you. Paul saying, all of the work is done by God. All of the work. And so sometimes we, in our minds, one of the reasons we, we, we kind of tend to, especially as Christians who believe in prayer and in the spirit and all that, sometimes we can kind of make one or two errors. One is to say, ah, eh, prayer, it's not, it doesn't really matter. It's just sort of the warm up, you know, whatever. The other is to say, it's all, it all hinges on your prayer. And so you're like, if I pray, then mountains will be moved. And if I don't pray, nothing will happen. And just And everything kind of weighs on you. But the New Testament makes a point to show us that the power is not in us. The, 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 the book of James says, Elijah, this great prophet, heard, Elijah was a man just like us. You're like, a man just like us? I wouldn't say that. Like, no, the power of prayer is not in the one who is praying, but the one we are praying to. Yeah. The power of prayer is not in the one. Who, it's not. It's not for you to sort of say, "Well, my checklist. You know, I've done this. I'm done that. I've been a Christian. I passed the 10-year mark now. I think I can finally begin to pray." No, the power is not in the one who is praying. It's in the God we are praying to. And so, when God invites us into this, invites us into prayer, it's a way of participating in His work. It's a way of saying, "Hey." I'm already on the move. I am doing this. I am doing this. And the gospel has the power to transform and to cause people to bear fruit. So come on and just pray. Just pray. Just start praying for that. Lord, I, I don't know her that well. I just saw this update on Facebook. But Lord, I'm just going to stop right now and I pray for them. And Lord, I'm hearing about this work here. So Lord, I pray. Pray for new life downtown. Pray for young life. Pray for the different ministries in town. Say, Lord, I pray that through their work, the gospel will bear fruit. Pray for it to bear fruit. And in the end, your trust and your confidence is not that you've been so good at praying. Not that you've used all the right phrases and poetic couplets. King James. Your confidence at the end of it all is that God is on the move. It's God who started this. It's God who will complete this. In fact, the letter to Colossians is bookended by prayer. I don't want to steal the thunder from our final week of the series, but you know how Paul ends his letter? He says, Pray also for us. Isn't that great? He starts by saying, I've been praying for you. You don't even know me. I've been praying for you. And then he ends it by saying, Pray also for us. To kind of show us this is how we all join in together. Now I imagine that this young church in Colossae, Epaphras comes and maybe he's the one and delivers this letter and he says, Guys, you won't believe it. Paul wrote to you. And they're like, Paul? Paul? Like, like the apostle Paul? Like Paul? Like the one who planted this church and that? Yes. Like Paul wrote to us. Like, yeah, and then they open it up and they start reading it and they're like, and Paul said he's been praying for us. Like, oh my goodness, wow. I mean, imagine if you got that news. Your spiritual hero, the person you've been listening to, the person that you, like, they even know we exist and they're praying for us, wow. Actually, it's much better than that because Jesus says, I am praying for you. Some of you are sitting here and you're thinking, "Oh, if only I had the right community, if only I was part of the right church that was a praying church, and if only I knew people who would pray, if only I had a good family, if only I had a mother who was praying for me, if only, if only, if only. I understand, and we need all those things. But at the bottom of it all, what we all have is the Son of God himself praying for us. Our gospel reading this morning shows us Jesus saying, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world. Sounds kind of harsh. But I'm praying for my disciples. And not just for them, but for all who will come to believe. That's us. That's you. The book of Hebrews says Jesus lives and sits at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for us. Did you know that at every moment of your day, at every hour, Jesus is talking to the Father about you? That when you think, I'm so alone, I'm so depressed, I can't, play, I don't know how to get up. That the, Jesus is saying, Father, would you help Karen right now? Father, would you help Jim right now? Father, would you? Jesus is praying for you. You're saying, but I, I, I'm so overwhelmed and I feel so alone and I don't know how I'll make it and nobody calls. and da, da, da. I get it. And I hope that more people do call and pray with you. But Jesus is praying for you. And as we begin to come to the table this morning, we come to the table of the one who's already given us his own body and his own blood to be our bread and our cup. How much more will God give us then, Paul says in Romans 8? How much more? If you just use just a little bit of your sanctified, holy imagination this morning, imagine showing up to the Lord's table this morning as though it were showing up to a feast, a meal group that Jesus is hosting for you. And imagine walking in the door and seeing the meal. Jesus himself says, it's my body, my body, I'm here. I'm giving myself for you. And imagine walking in and Jesus says, hello, my friend, hello, it's so good to see you. Chase, I've been waiting to see you, you're here. And Jesus says, I've been praying for you. You're like, what? Jesus, I've been praying for you. Now come on in and eat and drink. Come and feast at my table. And so this morning, as we bow our heads and as we get ready to come, we come to Jesus' table trusting in the gift and the prayer and the sacrifice of the great high priest. And one of our our own habits here as the church is to come to the table praying a particular kind of prayer, a prayer of confession. Confession is simply a way of saying we're in need. Lord, you be the one. You be the one that helps us. We haven't loved you with our whole heart. We haven't loved our neighbors as ourselves. So Lord, would you wash us, would you give us again the gift that transforms would you awaken us to the power of the gospel would you transform us so pray this with me this morning most merciful God we confess we have sinned against you in thoughts word and deed at what we have done by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We're truly sorry. We humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name.